we are going to learn here today that Paul exhorted Timothy to do. So our sermon text today is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. I have a good friend who loves to jump out of airplanes. One day, some years ago, his primary chute did not open. And by the time that he got his reserve chute open, he was too low to control the placement of his landing. But his reserve chute was open, uh, his descent was slowing, and that's certainly good news. But then he noticed that his landing was going to be in the middle of a very busy interstate highway. Uh, now, fortunately, a trucker saw him coming in, and this trucker turned sideways in the road. He stopped the traffic, and Jeff landed on the dotted yellow line of this interstate highway. Uh, of course, police and ambulance arrived. They transported Jeff to the hospital for observation, and then he was released without injury. Um, later that day, Jeff jumped again. Of course, his friend said, why? What, what are you thinking? And Jeff's response was, I don't want fear to keep me from doing something that I love doing. Now, the ministry of the gospel can come with some challenges. Um, this is certainly true for pastors and elders, but it's also true for every member of the church who's committed to being a disciple maker. Uh, situations at times can be difficult and can even be a bit fearful. Um, the apostle Paul himself, we we know from looking throughout the New Testament how he was beaten for the gospel, he was in prison, he was falsely accused, he was shipwrecked, he was hungry, he was in danger again and again for his very life, he was on the run from city to city, and on top of all of that, he faced daily the weight of responsibility of boldly proclaiming the gospel in the face of stiff opposition. Now, don't, don't minimize what Paul faced. We, we read through that list so many times that we think, oh, that's no big deal. He was the apostle. Don't, don't minimize the kind of suffering that he endured. Now, we also know that Timothy was with Paul for a lot of that. And as Paul charged Timothy with the responsibility of following in his footsteps, Timothy became a bit timid and unsure if he really wanted to endure the suffering of the gospel just like Paul did. There, there are hints of that very thing in this first letter, but it's more clearly seen and addressed in Paul's second letter to Timothy. Um, now, it, it's helpful to remember that the immediate context of this letter is the Apostle Paul instructing Timothy to function as an elder in the church. But as we've mentioned before, there are things that every member of the body learns from this instruction. Um, in this first letter, Paul instructed Timothy to confront false teachers. And 
to command them to no longer teach a different doctrine or a false gospel. And in fact, all members of the body are called to reject a false gospel. This is a necessary work, but sometimes a hard work, especially for one who is a bit timid, like Timothy. These these false teachers in Ephesus were not teaching the sound words of Jesus, which produced godliness. They were puffed up with conceit. They loved controversy and quarreling, which caused divisions in the church. And these men treated ministry as a means to get rich. They, they loved money more than they loved God. And so Timothy was instructed to not let these men teach a false gospel. And then in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy to flee these things like the love of money, like being divisive in the church. And in its place, Paul told Timothy to pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. These were the kinds of things that were necessary to become faithful in following Jesus. Maybe not always easy, but certainly necessary. Now, as we continue with verse 12 today, there are four additional truths that we learn. One, being faithful involves a struggle. Uh, Verse 12 begins by saying, fight the good fight of the faith. So to be faithful, Timothy had to fight the good fight of the faith. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said to Timothy, wage the good warfare. That means it's possible to fight the wrong battle. Certainly, these false teachers loved controversies and quarreling, which created divisions in the church, would in fact destroy the church. They, they fought for control and influence so they could make money and have their own way. Those are not the kinds of things that would be considered a good fight of the faith. A, a good fight would include giving yourself tirelessly to being a good steward of what God has given to you. Chapter 1, verse 4. In chapter 6, verse 20, Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him, which was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it was the sound words of Jesus that produced godliness. And so we see throughout this letter the good fight of the faith included giving yourself to love and a pure heart and a clear conscience. Fighting the good fight of the faith would include putting to death in our own lives a love for money and a craving for for power to influence for selfish gain. Fighting the good fight of the faith would include running hard after righteousness. You... You want your life to conform to God's will more than anything else. And so you fight for righteousness. You also fight for godliness. You want your life to be centered on God. You want to learn from and follow Jesus first and foremost before all things. You fight for faith, which means that you cling to the promises of the gospel. You receive truth that Jesus reveals You live in step with the Holy Spirit. You fight for genuine love and concern for God and for others. You you give yourself sacrificially for King Jesus and for the good of others. You also fight for steadfastness. You 
patiently and persistently endure even hard things for the sake of Jesus Christ. You fight for gentleness, which means you live in relationship with others in such a way that they know that you have their best interests in mind. Others ought to know that you genuinely want God's very best for them. Others, Others should know that they are safe in relationship with you. You, you fight for these things. And when I say fight, I mean you're willing to tirelessly give yourself for these things. Being, being faithful is not always easy, but you willingly enter into the struggle. You don't let fear keep you from doing what Jesus has called you to do. Now, um, it's easy to be selfish. Um, it it takes absolutely no effort to be selfish. Fighting the good fight of faith is something that requires a lot of effort. In fact, it's something that you can only do as the Holy Spirit enables you to do it. Um, in your weakness, you, you run to Jesus and you trust him and help him, and, and he helps you, he gives you help by his Spirit. Uh, Paul said this, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29, listen as I read it. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Notice he didn't grumble, he didn't complain about the hard work of serving others for the sake of Christ. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And then he goes on, And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So, In other words, Paul was willing to follow the example of Jesus enduring suffering. And then he goes on, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then notice this, verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love how he says that. He toils, struggling, but he struggles with the very energy and strength that God provides. Being faithful in gospel ministry as an elder, as a disciple maker, uh, which all of us are, are called to, Being faithful in this gospel ministry requires effort, great effort. It can be hard work. It can require sacrifice. It can be a struggle. But it's something that we gladly do in obedience to Jesus and for the good of others. It it doesn't really matter how much I say I want to run a marathon. If, if I don't do the hard work required to run a marathon, I won't be able to run a marathon. Um, 
First Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says this, Rather, train yourself for godliness. So, do the work in the gym for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So being faithful involves a willingness to get engage in a good struggle. You give yourself wholeheartedly to that. You toil and strive to fight the good fight of faith. You, in other words, you make time for people. Uh, that means you might have to give up something that you wanted to do. It, it might mean that you're tired and exhausted. It, it means you're willing to enter into difficult and messy problems to help people. You, you do hard things. You speak truth in love. You, in season and out of season, when, when it's well-received and when it's not well-received. You help people find hope in the gospel. You care for people. Again, this can be hard work, but it's a tremendous privilege. So be willing to enter into people's struggle. But also, being faithful remembers the reward. Uh, so ru running a marathon involves the actual race, and it involves the finish line. It, it involves running in such a way to win the prize. The second half of verse 12 says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here, here is a promise that makes any amount of suffering for the gospel in this lifetime worth it. What's promised is eternal life. In, in, in one sense, we know eternal life is knowing God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So through Repentance and faith were restored to a right relationship with the only true God. We know God. There's nothing greater than that in this lifetime. But this promise of eternal life is given to us in Jesus, that is given to us in Jesus, also means, it also means, not just knowing him now, but it also means living with him in glory forever. <laughs> That's the reward that we long for and look forward to. So the, the race can be fun. It, it will certainly involve hard work, but the reward, the reward will make it worth it all. Now, no surprise to you, I do not have the body of a distance runner. You don't need to laugh, but you can agree. Um, I've never had the body of a distance runner. However, when I played football and basketball and baseball, I loved wind sprints. Um, I was determined to finish the wind sprint first every time. Um, not because I was faster than other guys, but because I was more determined and hardworking. I, I love running what we called suicides. 
um, I don't know what they call them today, where you run the full length, you run three-quarter, you run half, you run a quarter. And that was always done at the end of practice when you're already tired anyway, but it was to push you to be prepared. So I, I loved running suicides. And what motivated me to push hard to run those suicides was to be ready for the fourth quarter. Um, you, you couldn't win without being ready to finish the game well. And I wanted to win. I, I wanted the sweet reward of that W. Well, for a believer, our reward is being with Jesus in glory forever. Um, we, we look forward to that day. We long for that day. We prepare for that day. We live for that day. Um, and when we walk with Jesus in their, this life, there is, in fact, great joy. But what we will experience in glory forever will be far greater and sweeter than we can begin to imagine. It's, it's good to think about that reward. Um, as my dad neared the end of his life, he talked more about that reward as I mean, more and more as each day went past. Listen to just a short passage in Revelation 21, starting with verse 1, that speaks of what that day will include. So think about what our reward will include. Then the writer of John, or the writer of Revelation says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have a great reward waiting for us, don't we? It's good to think about that. Reward. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14, and I quote, Indeed, I count everything as loss. And anything that he mentions there is, is what he did in the flesh, his, his natural man. And then he goes on, he says, I, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. So the, the loss of things done in the flesh that he was once proud of. He says, I, I consider the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We love to share in the power of his resurrection, but notice 
that the Spirit also produces in us a desire and a longing to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then Paul goes on, not that, I've, not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That's, that's the idea of taking hold of eternal life. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So being faithful remembers the reward. Um, This is what we're called to do. Uh, God has called us and made us his very own through Jesus. And, And so take hold of this eternal life to which you have been called. And then verse 11 concludes, verse 12 concludes, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So maybe this refers to Timothy's public baptism, his believer's baptism. Uh, Maybe this refers to his ordination for ministry. Um, I don't know that we can be certain, but in both baptism, believer's baptism, and in ordination, Timothy would remember God's call either to salvation in Jesus or to the gospel ministry. And in both of these, Timothy would have confessed his faith in and his allegiance to Jesus Christ. The, The point is this. Give yourself fully to learning from and following Jesus. Uh, be, be willing to engage in the struggle, and in the, in the end, there will be a reward, e- eternal life, and what a great reward it will be. Romans 2, 7 and 8 says this, to those who, by patience in well-doing, like a persistent well-doing. So, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Is that you? Does that speak of you? That's verse 7, verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, There won't be a reward. Instead, the text says there will be wrath and fury. So there's there's a lot at stake, isn't there? Um, There's a lot at stake. But I want you to remember that being faithful remembers the reward. Third, being faithful requires obedience. Verses 13 through first half of verse 15 say this, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, something we see in Luke 23.3, verse 14 says, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So, you know, we, we get in trouble when we think 
that we have the right to do whatever we want to do. <laughs> we, we fail to remember that God created us, and in fact, he gives us every breath we take. We, um, we also learn here in verse 13, verse 13 reminds us that God gives life to all things. We, we have nothing good that God has not given to us. Our, our very lives belong to him because he's our creator, but our lives also belong to him because of Christ Jesus who gave his life to save us. And so here Paul char- charges Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. But he does that by reminding Timothy, he does that by reminding Timothy um, of Jesus when he was standing trial before Pilate. Um, Jesus was, was betrayed by one of the twelve. He, he was falsely accused. He stood trial for things that he did not do. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was spit upon. He was flogged. And ultimately, he was crucified as a common criminal. And in that context... When Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you, you have said so. Je- Jesus made the good confession when he knew that doing so would cost him his very life. And, and so in that context, Paul says to Timothy, and the Spirit says to you, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Not, not just when... It's easy and convenient, but also when it means great sacrifice and even maybe your life. The question is, what command is he referring to? Well, I think the immediate context points to the command to fight the good fight of the faith. Um, I've also uh, entitled this whole sermon series in 1 Timothy as that, fight the good fight of faith. And I've done that because throughout this letter there have been numerous things that Timothy was instructed to do in order to fight the good fight of faith. And here's a sampling of what Timothy was already told by Paul to do to fight that good fight of faith. He said, charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. Uh, He said, make prayer and the gospel your priorities for ministry. He said, appoint qualified elders to lead and qualified deacons to serve. He said, conduct yourself in the church in a right way because the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. He said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Paul told Timothy, keep a watch on your own life and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He said, teach the sound words of Jesus that accord or produce godliness. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. All of these things must be done in order for you to fight the good fight of faith. You're you're called to obey the command to fight the good fight of faith. And to do that faithfully, unstained, and free from reproach. We, we all aim for perfection, and we know that we will never be perfect until Jesus calls us to glory, takes us to glory. So what does 
an elder do when he sins? Um, What do all followers of Jesus do when they sin? They confess their sin. They repent of their sin. They run to Jesus. They find comfort and hope in the gospel, and they change and grow. This is the way of life all of us have been called to as we prepare for and eagerly await the second coming of Jesus. He, he will come again at his appointed time. So being faithful requires being willing to engage in a good struggle, to always remember the coming reward, to obey the commandment of fighting the good fight of the faith. But lastly, being faithful means living for God's glory. The latter part of verse 15 and verse 16 remind us of this important truth, and I quote, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So there there is only one blessed sovereign. There, there is only one all-powerful God who is in control of all things. We, we do not live in a world where God and the devil are duking it out for the control of this universe. You will remember that Satan could do nothing to Job in the Old Testament. He could do nothing to Job without God's permission. Uh, Satan rages against God, but God is the all-powerful ruler of this universe. When Jesus was crucified on the cross by the hands of wicked men, God's decreed will was accomplished. The, The death and the resurrection of Jesus triumphed over the evil one. God's glory was revealed in breathtaking beauty in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for those that he came to save. We, we know and we believe that absolutely nothing comes into our life that doesn't first come through the hands of our loving Father in heaven, our sovereign God. We can trust God to use even hard things to bring about good in our life for his glory because he is the only blessed, sovereign ruler of the universe. There's only one king of all kings, only one lord of all lords. King Jesus has been given authority and dominion over all. We sang about that earlier today. And he's reigning in righteousness now, and will reign for all eternity. There is only one God who has immortality, who will never die, who will never suffer suffer defeat by another, who will reign as a righteous God forever and ever. There is only one God who dwells in unapproachable light, whose very being blazes white hot with Holiness and glory and majesty so great that no man can enter and live. The Bible declares that to be true. But astoundingly, 
The Bible also declares in Hebrews 10 that because of the cleansing blood of Jesus that atones for our sins by the faithful high priest, Jesus, we can approach his throne of grace confidently, the text says even boldly, and expect to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Even more than that, we're promised that we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us on the new heaven, the new earth, forever in his presence without hindrance. To him be honor and eternal dominion. This is fitting and right for the one true God, our God. You and I need to recognize his honor and eternal dominion in our own lives and in the universe, we too should say, Amen. And when we say, Amen, we are saying, let it be so. We, we recognize the truth. We receive the truth. We embrace that truth. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Will you engage in the struggle? Will, will you fight the good fight of faith? Will, will you remember the reward? Will, will you give yourself tirelessly to fighting the good fight of faith because the reward will be with it all to be with Jesus in glory forever? Will, will you live for God's glory, for the praise of His name there really are only two options. One, to live for your own glory, or two, to live for God's glory. To, to fill your life with what you want, or to fill your life with what God wants and deserves. Again, listen to Romans 2, 7 and 8. To those who by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, who seek for God. So for those who, who by patience and well-doing, seek for God, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There's, there's a lot at stake. Um, don't let fear or selfishness keep you from being faithful to the life to which you have been called. To make much of Jesus in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, it is humbling to, to hear these words of your greatness. How you, 
live in unapproachable light. But yet, Father, what an amazing thing it is that you, through Jesus, have made a way for us to approach you and live. Father, that is because of your love, your mercy, and your grace given to us lavishly in the person of your Son. And so, Father, I pray that you would give all of us ears to hear your call, and I pray that we would be people who would respond in faithful ways to your call and be willing to fight the good fight of the faith, to die to those things that, that displease you and to pursue a way of life that is filled with um, righteousness and godliness and faith and steadfastness and love and gentleness. Father, help us to be faithful, to remember the reward. We're, we're thankful for the joy that we have now. But Lord, we, we also believe somehow what we will have in glory will be far greater than we can even imagine. So Lord, don't let us forget that. Uh, remind us often of what we have to look forward to. As great as it is now, knowing you, help us to not lose sight of what that day will be like when Jesus comes again and we're ushered into your presence. So help us to live every day in light of that and to prepare for that and to look forward to that and to be ready for that day when Jesus comes. Give us hearts that, that care more about seeing your name praised in the way that we live and the way that we speak and, and what we desire in our heart, give us a desire to live for your glory, to make much of your greatness. And may we, by your Spirit, put to death self-centered desires and any kind of self-promotion. Help us, Father, to die to those things and to live for the glory of your great name. You and you alone are worthy of that. So, Father, thank you for the way that you are working in us and the way that you will work in us for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.